Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast that has a brand new resume, plenty of references available upon request, and is willing to drop what it's doing to coach its favorite team. It's time to do a little bit of stargazing. And joining me today, Mark Taylor. How are you guys? Doing great. Uh, living the life uh, out in KT's neighborhood. Um, how are you doing, Taylor? Uh, you know, I'm just uh, just living the life, and uh, it's never a dull moment here in Dallas Stars land, that's for sure. And, and and that's it's, it's definitely never a dull moment, and we're going to dive right into the big news, which is, of course, Dallas has elected to not extend the – or sorry, to not um, offer a new contract to head coach Rick Bonus, as well as saying goodbye to his staff, I think John Stevens, as well as Derek Laxdahl. They're keeping Forbes and Jeffrey, so, so video and goaltending, uh, pretty much everyone else is out. So a pretty uh, pretty transformative couple of days in the wake of a an epic game seven loss to the Calgary Flames and just just a lot going on and there's there's one like lame Tony Robbins thing I'm going to do before we before we go too much further and this is one of those classic sports moments right where we're going to talk about the impact of a thing on the franchise that we follow in terms of the games that they play and the results that they get in, in, you know, this, this child's game as a profession thing. And there are obviously human implications and there are obviously real people involved. And that's just one of the, the things that we, you know, have to adjust for when talking about sports is sometimes we're going to talk about things that, that have people impact on real people. And we're going to focus more on the, the, you know, on ice stuff and hope that, the gentlemen that are no longer employed by the Dallas Stars will find sunny days and brighter prospects elsewhere. So, yeah, disclaimer I, disclaimed. For myself, I would just say that from the on ice perspective, I completely understand why the organization went a different direction. But I would say from the personal side of things, Rick Bonus is a true just gentleman. I mean, Anytime the media needed anything, he was happy to talk. He didn't always give you an answer, but like he kind of laughed about it. And I mean, after sitting like, okay, so this was my first season writing for NHL.com, covering the NHL here in Dallas. And almost every game I would go into the visiting, visiting press conference to get audio and quotes and ask questions. And I, so I have sat through every single NHL head coach <laughs> in this league. And Rick Bonus is, I mean, there was not very many nights where he wasn't willing to face the fire. Um, whether Good or bad, whatever. I mean, the sh- he, he would- did have one short, uh, epic <laughs> press conference after the team also held a 30-minute uh, players-only meeting uh, when they got smashed by Nashville. I mean, he has moments, but everybody does. But from a human perspective, I think what is lost to a lot of fans when you hear the players talk about loving to play for Rick Bonus, it was because of the type of man that he was. It was because he treated his players as people first. I mean, Stephen Johns talked a lot about that um, when he retired about the fact that bonus always asked him how he was doing as a person first. It was never about getting him back to the 
to the game of hockey. It was more about, are you okay? And so I think that that is lost to the fans because there's two sides of playing for, for a head coach. It's the on ice and it's the off ice. And Rick Bonus is a quality person. And I just want to make sure that everybody understands that. So, yes, we'll tear him apart probably on tactics and, <laughs> and deployment and everything else. But from a personal perspective, I mean, Bonus was always gracious to me, always gave me, you know, the time. And it's very much appreciated from the media side of things. Yeah, and I think that that's a good point, Taylor. And with that said, right, I, I like that you even segued where the the person is one thing, but I, I and Mark will bring you into the conversation with just this this ask on a scale of one to ten, given Dallas Dallas's performance over Rick Bonus's tenure, one being not at all, ten being completely. How surprised are you that the team is electing not to move forward with Rick Bonus based on the on ice results? I mean, if if you look at it just strictly based on the on on ice results, I'd say maybe five. Um, I, I'm personally a lot less surprised just because you, you take a look at the pipeline of uh, of who Jim Neal has set up here, and and really the team has been moving away from the type of player that's going to succeed very well in um, in Rick Bonus's system. And so given that, having somebody who's driving things uh, behind the bench, uh, it, it's likely to start to become much more of a detriment than, than you know, even, even his, uh, his most vocal critic might, might think. Um, and, and so, you know, yeah, we, we, we made a Stanley Cup final. That was great. We made the playoffs uh, you know, two out of the three years, and, and we're in the hunt in all of them. And that, that goes a lot to say that, you know, there's a way that you can just kind of shut things down and make things a coin flip, and and that potentially gets you into a playoff spot where anybody supposedly can win. And I think I'm pulling up the the exact uh, the exact record because I think that there are two, and I'll buy myself a little bit of time. There, I think if you're looking for like a litmus test of the the Rick Bonus era and and what he meant to the Dallas Stars and kind of what those teams were. It's that in the postseason, the year that they made their run to the Stanley Cup, I think they were still just like two games over 500. I forget what the exact number was, but with all of the game sevens and all of the, um, you know, everything that went on, I think it was they were something like, I think it was like 14 and 12 or or some number like that. And, And, you know, he just even when they were great, they were also mediocre. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but but you take a look at it, and 98 points is the most points that this team has had since they won the President's Trophy. So, y'all, and y'all, yet, y'all, yeah. And, and, yet. and yet, they still barely made the playoffs. They still had to win something like six out of the eight points in the last season of, last week of the season to get there. I mean, yes, it's it's the most, but I think it I think it speaks to the uh, parity in the league and the fact that the West was maybe a little bit more competitive up top than originally anticipated that, I mean, they were one regulation win away from getting bounced by Vegas who had a slew of injuries, who had uh, goaltending issues and all this other stuff. And then you have Dallas that can't buy a goal to save their lives. And, you know, well, uh, I think that's, 
I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, Taylor, because in in you know that's that's sort of a that comment is sort of roster agnostic, and it's you know they made the playoffs two or three years. They they can't score. They they've done all of these things. Well, they had you know the, the I think it was either the the third or the fourth best line in the entire NHL in terms of its production. So it's, you get into all of these caveats of like, yeah, sure. Absolutely. That, you know, it's, it's, it's getting to game seven versus Calgary. And like, was that a good game by the Dallas stars or (laughs) was it a team getting absolutely caved in and bailed out by Jake Ottinger? And that, that ladies and gentlemen is the Rick bonus era. Yeah. And I mean, like you can't, you know, I was actually talking about this um, at my office when the news came down on Friday that that bonus was stepping aside or Thursday, Friday, whatever day it was. Um, time has no meaning. Uh, but my boss was like, you know, you mean to tell me that you're going to let go a guy who made the playoffs two out of the three seasons? He was behind the bench and had a Stanley Cup run um, and had the best season in such and such and such number of years or whatever. And I was like, yeah, because had COVID not wrecked that season, I don't know that they would have made the playoffs. It didn't look good. <laughs> At all. It was not looking great. Um, and that tailspin before COVID shut it down. Then you get into the bubble and they looked god awful in the round robin games. They were lucky that they had done enough to still be a top three team at that point. Um, they squeaked out of a close series to Calgary in the bubble, and then they had to play like a third third string goaltender against Colorado to make it out of that series. And they still got pushed to seven and yeah, they took care of business against Vegas. So that was kind of nice. So they definitely earned their way to the Stanley cup final. But like at the same time, you have to recognize the sheer amount of luck that also had to happen for them to be there. Um, and I mean, then, what yeah, is it in can... the Calgary series, right? Pavelski is a what 12 with their 12 seconds away from going, going down yeah. like three, one. three yeah. to one. Yeah, so like there's there's moments like that, and then and then yeah, you can write off last year, and I don't really hold last year against them, given the COVID impact of not being able to start the season, and then the ice storm that tried to kill all the Texans, and you know like so I get that, and so okay, whatever, just wash that one away. But I mean, this team had a lot of issues that continued to plague them that didn't get fixed. Or if it did get fixed, it was a little too little too late. The terrible starts um, to start the season, to start games, the an inability to score that didn't change over the last three seasons. You know, basically getting bailed out by goaltenders. Hell, at least the goaltending position has been figured out. That's nice. But I mean, you still had to go through all of these different ones to get there. I, I just uh, like. I mean, yeah, that that's a, I think that's a good a good thing without without so many injuries early on the, the kid that put in the best goaltending performance in the NHL since 2007 wasn't the starter at the beginning of the season. And like, I understand. Okay. I understand from the perspective of they weren't sure about Ben Bishop. They thought Kudobin wasn't going to fall off quite like he did. They signed Holtby as a veteran backup and they, because they knew that they needed Ottinger to play. And I get that. I understand conceptually why they went the route that they did to construct the goaltending position the way that they did. And I also do think just based on the playoffs and based on this season, it's no longer even a two, two goaltender system. It's a three. You have to have three legit goaltenders that you can put in place that can win you games. 
I mean, we've seen it all season long and all throughout the playoffs, how many times teams have had to go to the third one. So like, I understand depth of the position and I think Jim Nill is good at being able to identify that as a need. And honestly, Dallas is lucky that they did have Holtby to kind of tied them over for a little while. And then they got lucky with the Wedgwood trade too. So, I mean, uh, I just, uh, I forgot where I was going with all this, but I guess my point is, is like, there was a lot of good and there was a lot of bad. And I think at the end of the day, the issues that remained bad continued throughout his entire tenure and never got better, no matter what was given him and no matter what they did or, you know, what players they signed or didn't. Well, and I'll go back to the beginning of the year, and I, you know, we we had conversations on all of these topics, and and I think one of the main points that I would make early on in the season was that this was a this was a Jim Nill and and Rick Bonus's season with this last bit of the cracked window open with the older veterans, and and the team was going to ride that to death. And if it was successful, then they'd look at how they needed to build out under the system that was successful doing that. And and if it wasn't, then the team was in a position to go in a different direction. And I think this is just flat out recognition that they got as far as they were going to get with what they were doing and they need to do something else. They have a different core that's starting to take over and the, the core that's coming after that doesn't fit the system at all. And so it's time to not necessarily rebuild because the talent's there, but to refocus on what's successful. And, and you know, you go back to the Hitchcock days here, and the, the, the initial hope with Hitchcock was that, was that he would bring at least a little defensive focus but maintain the offense. And then, and, and then oh, that went by the wayside after a couple really bad goals, and, and eventually we became this, uh, this defense-only team. Um, and so now you say, well, is there a way that we can build in the offense but maintain some of that defensive structure that has been instilled in this group? And the hope is yes. Yeah, and I, I mean, mean I think- some of the top teams are built that way. Some of the top teams play that way. I mean, Jim Nell made a good point at, at his intermediate availability that you can't get away from just no defensive structure. That's how you wind up the Edmonton Oilers. Um, so, like... You do well, need a you say that who are doing very fall. well right now. <laughs> further in the playoffs than the Dallas Stars did this season. And, and, yeah, well, they also have Connor McJesus. Like, I mean, <laughs> of course they're going to get further. But look at, like, well, whatever. Is, you're getting we can into talk the, about like, that. You could, argue that. you could argue that having the Pavelski-Robertson-Hints line is just about as good as having Connor McDavid. <laughs> it is not. It is not. Connor McDavid just set an NHL record for nine multi-point games in the first 10 consecutive playoff games, like, ever. First player to ever do that. Like, he is, it's Connor McDavid and literally everyone else. So, like, no, it's not the same. But to your point, they did have a really incredible first line. They were never able to find a second line. And I think that the next coach is going to have to figure out a way to tap into... Sagan and Ben and make them more productive again. And well, I, I think to your point, and I want to I want to touch on this because you're you're talking about the the second line is I think it's not just that Bonus in his tenure couldn't find 
another a second line. I think one of the biggest frustrations for the stars, it didn't seem like he was particularly creative in looking for it. Right. We were in, until he got injured in the Calgary series in the game. In fact, in the game that he got injured, you know, and play, he wound up playing 11 minutes. Fox, was leading all forwards in ice time at the end of the first period in the game that he got hurt. So it's, it's one of those like bonus had his, had his tricks, right? It was roll the first line, lean on what's supposed to be your your experienced veteran stopping unit, and when you predictably can't score, change Sagan's wingers, right? Or you know go to go back to Sagan Ben Radulov that hasn't worked also. His it, there wasn't a lot of his. It was more just saying like, oh, I'll just rearrange the deck chairs and maybe that'll mean the ship won't sink. Well, and here I, I would argue that really what ended up happening to this team was they they end up with really only one forward who's who's a who's a superior playmaker, and and losing Radulov and, and his skill set really hurt him this year because he was the only other guy who really had a has any kind of game where he can work off the boards and turn the puck toward the net, and, and that's that's really the skill set that Jason Robertson brings that's so dynamic is being able to get that puck facing the net and then and then pass off of that. And so I'm looking for a new coach who who can set up a system that doesn't require players to play with their backs to the net all the time because we don't have guys who are good enough to to be offensively threatening if that's what they're doing. Well, back to the net dump and chase as well like I you know yeah. I watched Calgary um or sorry, not Calgary. I watched Tampa Bay, Florida earlier today, and the the difference in the elite offensive units taking the puck into the offensive zone versus the Dallas Stars is stark, to say the least. Well, the Stars don't eat, the Stars aren't even really good at 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 an aggressive forecheck. I mean, the, the, that, that's why you had some of these guys, you know, everybody loves student each or you know, I, I personally like Kiviranta, a couple of these guys. Those are the only guys who know how to play an aggressive forecheck, given that you're doing a dump and chase. And, and how can you do a dump and chase if you can't if you can't handle the puck? And, you know, this and, is where we get into usage. And there's an argument that. And this is, I think, where you get a lot of the Bones frustration. I think, to me, where you see some of the justification of him not coming back is, I think, you know, and I'm not going to say that Dallas is an elite puck handling team by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think you can make an argument that a team with John Klingberg and Miro Haskinen and even, you know, diminished Jamie Benn shouldn't be as beholden to the dump and chase as they seem to be at times. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, you saw you saw it periodically. I mean, you know, you'd see you'd see Gurianov coming in with speed, and, and and really all he has to do is beat one guy, and all of a sudden he's flipping the puck in, and it's like really. But some of that, okay, we we're gonna do a full episode on Gurianov because it <laughs> it frustrates me. It frustrates me that every single player's shortcomings are are laid at the coach are laid at the feet of the coaching staff. Players are responsible for playing their shit too. Like 100%. they're responsible for the decisions that they make out on the ice. If they haven't figured it out, like I mean, ugh, like I you know what I think though a better I, I agree with you completely, Taylor and, and Guriana. We're gonna have a different ways. conversation about that one day. But yeah, he's told the counter argument that I would make is, okay, 
Now tell me why Thomas Harley didn't get a single second of playing time in a Calgary series where a single power play goal literally could have been the difference between advancing and being defeated in seven games. Because Rick Bonus trusted Joel Hanley more. Exactly. That's, that's what it came and, down to. Exactly. And we talked about, in, in, in my opinion, this is why the Stars were right to move on from Rick Bonus. And we talked about this oh, during the sure. series. If you're playing, it was, I think at one point, Joel Hanley was averaging it's less than 12 minutes, right? What is the point of 10 minutes of Joel Hanley in a series where that 10 minutes of Joel Hanley isn't going to give you anything different? Yeah. And I mean, there are a lot of reasons. I think, you know, it's that, it's the god awful power play, it's the just weird time on ice distributions and it's an inability to find secondary scoring. There's a lot of reasons why not just bonus, but his entire assistant coaching staff outside of video and goaltending are no longer here. I mean, so I think, okay, so we've harped on a little bit about all the reasons why bonus isn't here. I think what I would like to do is talk about who could be, the guy next season like are there any names that you guys have been hearing or that you would like to hear dallas is interviewing to be the guy next season and what do you what do you think about the names you're hearing there are some boring ones and there are some more reasonable ones that we'll get to but i want to bring up one name first to frame the conversation this is something jeff merrick mentioned i I saw it on twitter i think he mentioned in 32 thoughts talking about how mark savard is a a name that has at least come up And I'm not as familiar with his coaching bona fides. I don't know the type of job he's done, how well he's regarded, if he's NHL ready, any of those things. The reason that that name appealed to me specifically is a lot of what we've been talking about when we talk about bonuses shortcomings are a philosophy that did not prove flexible, right? Didn't adjust, didn't adjust to the roster he had, right? A, A gap between the way that he wanted to coach and the players that he had available, right? So to me... A name like Mark Savard, someone with his profile as a player, is much is encouraging because it feels like an option that is taking into account the the team that the stars might actually have and the league that the stars actually play in more than I think they always were in the bonus era. So that that was one name that can't that has come up that that has been interesting to me. And I believe he's coaching Wyatt Johnson, who is the Dallas one of Dallas Stars' top prospects. So, that is correct. I mean, it's it, it's an interesting idea, and I think that the success that a guy like um, Martin St. Louis up in in Montreal at the end of the season had um, could make teams really reconsider, you know, more recent retired coaches as as coach or players as coaching options moving forward. Well, yeah. And you take a look at, you know, you know, you talk about all these coaches that Jim Nill has supposedly hired and really the only coach that Jim Nill has hired unfettered is, is Jim Montgomery. And and that was really outside the box. I mean, straight, straight in, straight in from, from college in Denver and, and without the, without the NHL background. So I wouldn't be surprised if there might be uh, something coming in a little bit from left field. European coach. Let's European go. coach, right. I, and I don't know, you know, again, European, the idea of getting somebody that isn't a retread appeals to me um, because, you know, two of the more recent, you know, Montgomery, of course, was out of the blue. 
Ken Hitchcock was not just a retread in NHL sense, but a Dallas retread. And then Rick Bonus was a, you know, <laughs> I was watching a documentary on the, the, the Islanders in the nineties and saw Rick Bonus on the bench. So it's just retread, right? So these, they need a candidate, I think with new ideas, in my opinion. And uh, personally for me, I think there's two things about a European coach that appeal. One it's not a retread, and it is a true, fresh voice in the room. I mean, like, bringing ideas that aren't necessarily seen in the NHL today. Um, but two, I think also just the fact that Dallas has a pretty strong recent draft history with the Finns and the Swedes um, and guys, you know, from Europe coming over and, and, and having impacts here. And, I mean, if you're looking at a core that's going to include – Mira Haskinen and Rupe Hints moving forward. I mean, hell yeah. Like, put European coach in charge of them and, like, let those babies fly. Um, and also, like, I look at um, Jacob Peterson, who, by all accounts, and in my opinion, had a fantastic freshman season um, here in Dallas. And then, like, for some reason, fell out of favor going down the stretch of the season. Something about he's never played 82 games before and, like, like he's not 22 and Dallas had so many other scoring options, Taylor. Um, (laughs) So many, Um, but like, you know, he goes over to the world championships and I get that it's not quite the same level of competition, but still against some very stout, you know, like opposition. And he goes out and has a two, like a two goal, three point game today. Like, hello. <laughs> so like, I just look at what's in the system and what's coming. And then also the skill of the go- re- more recent draft picks, like Johnson and um, Stankoven and those guys. And like, I sit there and go, it'd be pretty exciting to see a European coach team and see what he could do with those types of weapons. Personally. It's certainly those, those types of names and player profiles argue for a move on from a coach like bonus, right? Which of course the next name I'll throw at you much more, you know, another, another young up and comer without a a great deal of, of NHL experience. But, uh, you know, the other name, of course, he's now unemployed. Barry Trotz is also on the market. Would a coach like that be of interest to either of you? Uh, not particularly. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for him as a coach. I don't think that the team fits what he would want to do with the team. So and, and and here I think I think specifically we need somebody who's going to get creative offensively, and, uh, and and hopefully be able to utilize some of the things technically we do on the defensive end, but but be much more aggressive in how we allow people to use the puck moving forward. I could kind of understand a, a Barry Trotz hire. Um, mainly, here's here's the scenario in which I see him being an option here in Dallas. One, if he's not looking for a five-year type deal. I think if he's willing to go two or three seasons um, to try it out and see if, if he could do something, I think essentially kind of align him with Jamie Benn's contract. Um, and I think that there's an argument to be made that you want to try to maximize what you can get for Jamie Ben's con- current contract. Cause let's be honest, um, like it's a big number and they're unlikely to be moving him at all in any way this off season. So he's still on your books and he's still on your roster. 
I think Trotz has a proven record of coming into more veteran teams and getting the most out of veteran players. I'm not saying it would necessarily be the exciting change we want, but I could understand it so long as it's kind of more like a bridge type deal um, until you're truly ready to hand over your team to that next core. Well, I I think that a a decision like that one reflects part of the reality of the stars situation, which is there is a lot, this is not, I've made the argument before and will continue to do so that this is not a capped out team, right? Dallas has room. They're not flush, right? They're, they're cap crunched perhaps, but they've got the room to do things. What they don't have the room to do, right? We're, we're talking about one of the dog s worst offenses in the league at, at even strength, right? They are, they have been garbage, under Rick Bonus, and I, I'm sorry to to you know say it so bluntly, but that is that is the the reality. The thing that that appeals to me about a coach like Barry Trotz is Jamie Ben. Right, we've talked a lot about his decline. Tyler Sagan had another troubling season. Even with that said, the two of them generated I think it's 46 and 49 points respectively. Right, so almost 100 points worth of offense. No, Dallas is not capped out, but they're certainly not in a position where it will be easy for them to go out into the free agent market and replace 100 points worth of offensive production. So the benefit of a coach like Trotz with, you know, kind of a proven NHL track record, a proven track record of of getting something out of veteran players, right? The benefit of him like that, I think Taylor is exactly like you described. Whoever comes next I don't think the answer for Dallas is, oh, well, you just write off Ben and Sagan and you buy it, blah, blah, blah. Like whoever comes in next to have any level of success is going to have to find ways to to get production out of 14 and 91. And maybe a guy with extensive NHL experience stands a better chance of understanding how to maximize those two players until there are more legitimate options to replace that production. I mean, yeah, I just, it's not the sexiest pick, but I could under, I could see them doing it. I could definitely make an argument. The other thing, though, is that he's probably going to be one of the more sought after coaches available right now on the market. And I know he's planning to interview with literally everybody. So I do wonder if there's a fit there just in terms of he might have more options for term and dollar amount on a coaching uh, contract elsewhere. What do you think, yeah. Mark? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of going the other way with this. I, I'm not so worried about, uh, about a coach who's going to find what to do with Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben. What I wanted, what I want is a coach who knows how to be- get the most out of the guys on the smaller contracts that we're going to need in order to, in order to be competitive with those contracts still on the books. And and the fact of the matter is that uh, you know Ben's contract, you know, cash cash wise is down to six and a half per year starting next year. Sagan still still really earning quite a bit on the cash basis in addition to 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 cap. But what that really means is that finally you might see some hands getting forced here where we where we see some prospects up in the NHL and and. You're going to have to use them because you're going to have to you're going to have to field a full team and keep it under cap. 
And yeah. and so Peterson's going to get his time, and you know Gurianov's going to see his ice, even though he's going to run at two point nine million um, on his qualifying offer. All these guys, you know, you're going to want to have have a couple of guys like Studenich who who can bring value at at a minimum level contract, and and so that's kind of the coach I want to see who, who can who can build on that next wave core. Yeah, I think the young player is an interesting angle because it's it's sort of, you know, you've got you've got a couple of of what should be at this point. You know, you've got Miro, you've got you've got Rupe, you've got Jason Robertson. Hopefully, you've got Pavelski for another. Year. So there there are a couple of kind of proven commodities that anchor the whole thing. But really, the the nuts and bolts of the job is like where can you find what? It's almost like where what has been. Where can you find additional value, right, within the existing roster? Is it, it, you know, can you find a way to make Jacob Peterson a productive everyday NHL player? We we harped on it earlier. Can you integrate Thomas Harley into an NHL lineup and and turn him into a weapon? Can you get more scoring out of Miro? So it's kind of a blend of like, you almost need a coach that that is going to simultaneously be able to, you know maximize his veterans and his kids all at the same time because frankly Dallas needs both. Right, and, and you kind of have to let the the everything fall where it will with with your veterans, and and be able to place them in the lineup based on their productivity as opposed to where where they they've traditionally fallen, and and if that means that Ben's going to be a, a third or fourth line center, then that's uh, that's what you do. But you find a slot in the lineup that matches what you intend for him to accomplish. And and hopefully that has a has a eyes wide open view of what his real skill set you know what he can still do on the ice. Yeah, yeah you, but you, please tell I, I would I would argue then that you're you're actually making the argument for a veteran coach because they've had to do that in other stops previously. Um, or or, or, or not, if they're. Or, or if they're old hockey guys, they haven't made that decision in the past, and that's why they lost their last job. Yeah, I mean, you could also, you know, you could that that would profile as a younger coach with ideas. You know, hey, what if we structured the off? You know, somebody that maybe doesn't necessarily look at a lineup with the orthodoxy of, well, I've got two scoring lines, and then I've got my checking line, and then I've got my energy line, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe the, the next guy time, is someone that at looks the same at it time, a little you bit guys different. are being a little too idealistic, in my opinion, because the NHL is not a development league. Like that, this is not where you develop players. Like that's not it, the intention. It, it I mean, it's it, a, it is and it isn't. It I was going to say that. Okay. It's, it's as, about as making it's, it's sure not. that you put them in positions to be successful. But at the end of the day, if you're at the NHL level, your development is over. You're you, like, it is on you at that point. Like your coach is not there to make sure that they hold your hand and, and do all the things to get you where you need to be. They're going to give you a role and they're going to say, go out and do it. I, I agree, but the the twist is the role that they give you should reflect the skill set that you have, not a spot in a lineup that needs to be filled. And if there's not a player that, you know, the the FCC line, right, the the kind of the the rise and fall of Radic Foxen, right? It's it's if you don't have a player that fits the mold of a checking line winger in that sense, right? If you have Jacob Peterson then the answer is, well, maybe you have a line that does different things, has different tasks. And that's not a 
that doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden developing Jacob Peterson at the NHL level. It means I don't have, you know, still effective Blake Como and still effective Andrew Cogliano and still effective Radic Foxa. So I need to play my team. Like I, I, I can't play my team. Like I still have those guys. Right. It's like, you can't put Jamie Ben and Radic Fox on the same line. Cause they're both going to fight each other for the net front and, and, and nobody's going to be able to get them the puck. Well, and it, and, it's also like as, as great as he played and as, as much as he added to the team and as, as good of a free agent acquisition he, as he was, it is, no, it is no surprise that when you look at the Dallas Stars inserting Michael Raffle onto the top power play unit and then looking at Dallas's complete nosedive on the power play after February, like those two things go hand in hand. Right, right. And and it's why you see somebody like like Vladislav Nemesnikov coming in and, and actually playing fairly decent. But that's because they brought somebody in who who they knew was going to work within their system. And, and, and that says a lot more about it. That doesn't tell you about the skill level of the player. That tells you about the fit. And, and all I'm really saying here, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Taylor, about not being a development league. But given that I have a roster, I'm going to fill out that roster and put together those lines and pairs based on how, how their skill sets mesh together to defend and to create offense. And, and, and I can't. I can't just say, here's my template for success, and so I'm going to take player A here and put him in this box and player B and put him in this box, and by the end of the day, I filled all the boxes, and therefore we're going to be successful. What I'm going to do is say, here, here, here are three people who have these complementary skill sets. This, guy, this guy's a shooter. This guy can distribute the puck, and this guy can win board battles, and, and so... This way we have a line that, that can work together to do things and, and produce. It's the it's the Thomas Harley thing, right? It's it's my theory is the Dallas Stars holistically are probably a better hockey team with Thomas Harley in the lineup than Joel Hanley, night yep. in and night out. And yes, Taylor, to your point, a very big part of that is the assumption that if Thomas Harley is inserted into the lineup he will play hard. He will learn. He will make few mistakes. He will do good things, right? He will, he will earn it, right? That is absolutely, you know, that has to happen. If he comes in and, and, you know, Julius Honk is up the joint, then it's not going to work. But at the same time, there is a responsibility on the coaching staff not to develop Harley, but not to just throw him out there without any care or consideration to how he plays the strengths of his game, how he might help his team, right? It's, it's incumbent upon the coaches to put him out there in a role that's going to allow him to, you know, play. You don't put Jacob Peterson out in analogous situation to Radic Voxa. Sure. But then what if the coaching staff that you guys have in your brain says, well, Thomas Harley needs more time in the AHL. Like, are you guys going to be happy if he decided that? Like, I, I guess my point is, is you guys keep talking about wanting this new coach that, you know, is this ideal and is going to work with the veterans and the, and the rookies and, and the younger guys. But what I'm saying is, is like, in theory, it's easy for us to talk about those conversations, but they're a lot harder conversations to actually have to have. It's not easy to go to a Jamie Benn guy and say, hey, I know you're the captain of this team and uh, have been here forever and you play a certain way, but 
you know, you're, you're going to be on that third line from here on out. Like that's not an easy conversation to have. And then also I think coming in with any preconceived notions of Jamie Ben is washed up is also like, it's also kind of not cool either because you, until they get in there and actually see what these players can do themselves, like you're just, Bowing to bias of the internet horde. But, well, but yeah, I, none I, of that means you can try, though. And I think as well that that's where to be. And, and this is I, I have no personal knowledge of, of how Jamie Ben would react. But like, you know, once upon a team time, the team took the C off Mike Milano and gave it to Brendan Morrow, right? And that's and everybody said that was a shitty thing to do. <laughs> it was, but they did it, and the team had some success under Brendan Morrow's captainship. And you could argue that they might have had the exact same with Mike Madonna wearing the letter and whether it mattered, but they, the coach was able to make a tough decision and the team moved forward. And I think at the same time, like, yes, you know, let's, let's, let's take the theoretical and, and sorry for the character assassination indirectly. Right. But let's take the theoretical that the next coach that comes in says, you know, Jamie, the only way you're going to be the player that we need you to be is if instead of playing, you know, 16, 17, 18 minutes a night, you're going to be playing 12, right. You're going to be, you know, we're going to specialize your power plates, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah, there's there's every bit of, you know, it's it's there is a chance there is a human element of the new coach has to get, you know, Jamie's buying and he's got to be productive. And if he balks, will he be blah, blah, blah. But like just because he might get mad doesn't mean that may not be the answer. And additionally, like part of bringing in the new coach, if you're Jim Nell and, and even by extension, Tom Gallardi is. If if you hire a new coach, right, part of why you hire a new coach is because you think that that coach's vision is the vision to take your team forward. If you hire the guy that says, I'm going to play Jamie Ben 12 minutes a night because I think it makes us a better team, then it better not just be your brand new coach having that conversation. And it better be old mustache himself sitting in the room saying, well, Jamie, this is the guy we hired and I, I support him. And, well, I, you know, you can wave your I, no move, right? And we can talk about other – so there is – Yes, there could be friction, but there is an entire organization that exists to deal with that friction if it's the right move. I mean, I, I, I don't think that's the conversation that you have, though. The conversation that you have with any of these players is, is here's where I see you fit, and here, here are the types of things that we expect you to accomplish out on the ice. Can you do that for me? And the only time I would have a conversation with Jamie Ben would be if, if I'm saying I, I'm going to keep you at 12 or 13 minutes. That conversation is is one that says you are much better for this team if you can can be highly focused for a smaller amount of time than you can playing you know an extra five minutes a game. But you have to kind of half asset for for you know a third of those minutes because your body can't take it. You've been very successful doing doing what you've been doing over your career and your body's not going to hold up and, and be ready for the playoffs if you play that way the entire time during the regular season. And so I'm going I'm I'm going to want you to play this way as opposed to a, a different way that you have been playing. Um, I'm I'm not I'm not going to go in and and concentrate on the negative and say I'm cutting your minutes. That that's just you know that's bad hockey coaching. It's bad management. Period. Right. Hopefully, hopefully you don't hire the guy whose pitches I'm going to go in on day one and tell a bunch of veterans I'm axing their ice time. I totally agree right. with you. 
you're you're going in there and saying, here's my vision for the world. Here's where I see you fitting in. And here is what that's going to do to your game. It's going to make your game better. Can you get behind me doing that? And I think, and, and Taylor, please correct me. I don't want to put any words in, in yours or your mar- mouth as well, Mark. But I do think what we're getting at is this concept that I think that that one of the areas that bonus really seems to struggle is, is this idea of, of roster adaptability, right? And And I say this as we have, you know, Corey Perry is a productive member of the Tampa Bay Lightning and Valerian Chushkin is a productive member of the Colorado Avalanche. And, and, you know, Toronto certainly found ways to use Jason Spezza at times this season. And this, this idea to me, at least that under, under bonuses stewardship, and I know Nichushkin came before that, so I didn't want to equate it, but under bonuses stewardship, it has felt at times like the philosophy was, this is the way that we do things. And if you can't participate, then there is no space for you versus a, these are the players that we have. What do we do with them? Sure. And so I think that the next coach, but in my I, mind, I guess- the ideal is a coach that's mindset is much more, much more around this notion of what pieces do I have versus what picture do I want to draw? Yeah. I guess my thing though, is how can, how can any perspective coach honestly assess any of the players on this team given the systems and things that they were playing in because like yeah. i personally do not believe that radic foxa has just completely lost his game you know i i just yeah. I, I can't believe that i can't believe that this team cannot find a power play zone entry without a flashlight and a map Unless John Kleinberg is on the ice. Like, I can't believe that these players have all just dropped off of a cliff at the same time. And well, so when you when you consider, you know, a guy coming in, I just wonder, like, how much of this, like, preconceived notions of how players are, where they're at, or where the veterans are, um, play into it based on how these guys have been playing in the system they've been yeah. playing in. That, well, I mean, and, and isn't that the, isn't that the interesting thing though here? Because bringing in a new coaching philosophy and a new coaching staff is exactly when you find out how many players have been given a role that hasn't allowed the, them to succeed and given an opportunity to do something else. All of a sudden, you 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 find a player that that you thought might have been washed up who who's actually pretty good. And and I think Wes going through and talking about Corey Perry and Jason Spezza and and, and uh, Val Nichushkin is, is a perfect example. You 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 find people who found environments that were supportive of them um, and and put them in a position to succeed. And these aren't washed up players. These are players that needed a different role. I mean, I mean that's part of the time, jo- it's though, it's you- the same job that Jim Nill right now has. Frankly, looking at John Klingberg and a potential new contract, yep. how much. Of, you know, the if you're Klingberg and his agent, right, part of the argument you've been making all along is this this drop off. Yes, I'm an offensive player. My value is in my production. And the drop that you see is in how I was asked to play. Right. And, you know, if you're Jim Nill, part of what you're going to have to evaluate very quickly right now is how much of this is John Klingberg's, you know, aging and evolutionary curve as a player, and how much of this is the system that John, Kling, the the Derek Laxdahl power play that John Klingberg was forced to play in last year, right? And it's the same, Taylor, I agree with you completely. No new coach is going to know 
in absolute terms what these guys are capable of, but you you have to hope that the hockey mind that they hire at least is has looked through tape and has you know looked at statistics and has you know talked to the league has done their homework so that it yeah they may end up being wrong, but gotta try the the you gotta try something right. Yeah, I mean you gotta try something. I just what we're I doing guess, isn't working. I guess if, like at the end of the day, I do wonder if the team ends up going more with the devil you know versus the devil you don't. And I think that's been a common thread under Jim Neal. And so I do wonder if, like, a guy like Neil Graham maybe gets a look because he's been in their system and he's been part of the Dallas Stars organization for a few years now. And he coached at the ECHL level, had success. He came up, was an assistant under Derek Laxdahl, Moved to head coach when Laxall was promoted because bonus was promoted, and then, and then has <laughs> done the best that he could with the player with the roster he's been given down there, and given injuries and and having your number one goaltender. Yeah, yeah. he picked know, that team up off the at this season. They were you know at the start of the year, and they made the play. <laughs> and so, like, I do wonder if maybe is Neil Graham the answer to everything? Is that he's new he is new to the nhl would have different ideas but isn't necessarily so far out of left field that the team would be uncomfortable with it i don't know i mean maybe he is i have been saying for a long time that neil graham is going to be the next big thing that comes out of this organization that's just me (laughs) maybe now's this moment i think you do make a good point and you know we've talked about all of the shortcomings of the roster but the reality is this is a you know, one of the best defensive teams in the league with what appears to be a very good goaltender in-house moving forward. So I, I do think you're right. The idea that, that the new guy needs to come in and light everything on fire and start from the ashes isn't. That's that's not what this team needs, right? This team needs, um, but but at the same time, right, you can afford it. There's, there's an old adage, and I originally got this in an old Barnwell NFL podcast, but this idea of like, Okay, you've got the the best defense and the worst offense in the league, or you've got the number three defense and the you know number twenty eight offense in the league. It's much easier and much better for your team to go from you know the twenty eighth best offense to the twentieth best offense than it is for you to go from the number three defense to the number one defense, right? And so I think the new coach, to a certain degree, the new philosophy. You, you, it's what was promised under Hitch, and like you want to preserve that defensive solidity, and you don't want to give it up entirely. But at the same time, you can afford some regression on that end of the ice if it comes with improvement offensively, because there is so very much space to improve offensively. Right, and and I think Anything. some of the habits. Go ahead, go ahead, Taylor. No. I, I, mean, I, I was, I was just, gonna, I was just going to say. There are certain things that were coached in, like uh, the, the job that the Stars did in the playoffs, uh, uh, controlling sticks in front of the net, was was pretty amazing. And, and it's it's technical things like that. I think you can maintain while still setting a a defensive philosophy that isn't always just kicking the puck safely up the boards. It'll be interesting, and it's it's you wonder if it, it's yeah, it's it's just it's it's another. I think, Taylor, your point about this is a very good moment to gauge the organization's philosophy on what it wants to be, I think is it cannot be under cannot be overstated. Apologies. I think that's it's it's a this is a, a tone moment, right? This is a you know, they've they've 
the Dallas Stars have have kind of moved on from the the Sagan Ben era, Sagan Ben Radulov, you know, Bishop era into, you know, this is the Hintz, Robertson, Haskinen, Ottinger era, right? And so this this hire in a lot of ways, and, and even you know Nils' recent ja- draft classes, right? The Wyatt Johnsons and the the you know Maverick Borks and the you know Strangeses of the world, the 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 players they're bringing up, right, are new and different. And so it will be fascinating to see to what degree the coaching hire reflects that versus the old identity. Yep. And I, I, I'm fully on board with Taylor's Neil Graham train um, that uh, I, if not this time, hopefully the next time. I will tell you, I was impressed with the job. He, I, I remember going to see um, we had we had a season tickets this year. I remember going to see a couple of games before Ottinger got called up and being very excited I remember seeing a couple of games immediately after he'd been called up and when Harley wasn't with the team and thinking like, oh, well, well, we, you know, this, this is not the year to be happy with our season tickets. We'll just wait for, you know, wait for the next round of kids. And then by the end of the season, being back to being excited, which is like, how, how on earth have they gotten this thing back into any kind of productive mode? And that's why I do wonder if a bridge type situation with a more veteran coach makes sense because I don't know if Neil Graham is necessarily ready to take on the reins of an NHL team as a head coach without maybe a season or two as an assistant somewhere or something. But that's the thing, too, right? Like you have to balance all of these organizational needs. It's not just what players do we have today? What players are we going to have in the future? It's also where's our organizational depth at in terms of of coaching? And, and you always want to be the the organization where people are trying to poach your people um, because that means you've got the best people and in good positions. And so, you know, I think does your coaching hire right now inadvertently run Graham out of town, right? Because you sign him to a five-year deal and you block his in theory potential to move up. I mean, there's so many things that are going to play into Mm -hmm. this. I think this hire is incredibly pivotal, pivotal. It's a pivotal hire. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a pivotal hire, uh, but it's very pivotal to this, the success of this organization. And I think that, you know, it's not beyond the realm of, of possibility that you're sitting here going, you know, the wrong hire. And all of a sudden this team is looking at a rebuild yep. somewhere. And I think the right hire, you're a real, you're in a reload situation and it's, it's going to be, yeah, I think a lot depends on this, this most recent draft class. A lot depends on Jake Ottinger continuing to develop and a lot depends on, you know, you've got, you've got Robertson and Hintz have to be legit. You've got a top five defenseman. Pavelski needs Hayes. to continue to do Pavelski things. Yeah. You need another year of that. Right. But and I'm more speaking long-term, right? So long-term you need Robertson and Hintz to be the real deal at forward as they seem to be right. You need Haskinen to continue to be what he is and you need to nail the coaching yeah. hire. And with those building blocks, right, you're you're in a very good position. But, you know, you do make a wrong move. The draft class doesn't pan out. You get the wrong coach. Then, you know, that that those those players by themselves aren't aren't going to get, you know, aren't going to be any more than the team is right now. So like no pressure, guys, no pressure. Just get it right. Fascinating offseason. And yep. it will be interesting to see which direction they go. And I do think it is, you know, as we've discussed at nauseum time, it, it was the right moment to move on. Yep. Let's let's make hockey fun again. 
Oh, that would be great. But Yay, this was go. fun. And I look yep. forward to an exciting offseason. We, weeks to come, we'll review how the season went, how the playoffs went. We'll do the same, you know, post-mortem uh, we do every year. Then we'll start looking towards next year and all the reasons to get excited and why we think Dallas is going to go um, all the way. And it, just good things. It is, It is despite the way the season ended, it is a good time to be a Stars fan. And I'm looking forward to what comes next. So thanks to you both. Uh, for your time today. Thanks for the listens. Please do not forget, download the podcast, like the podcast, um, lavish KT with praise on all the socials because she stitches this thing together in a way that makes it coherent, which is just always a wonder. And uh, again, thanks all, and then we'll speak next time.